part of why I wrote that article around gaming is, you know, this powerful medium for storytelling is it's just it's the beauty of art, you know. Um, I, I hate that people still don't understand that gaming is just an incredible art form um, and that there's a lot, people leave a lot at the door um, when they play a game. Um, it's an escape for a lot of people. Hey, welcome to this week's episode of Breaking Out. I'm your host, Jadid Lazar. Ever wondered what it takes to step outside of a traditional job or career and chase your dreams? Let's find out, as each week I'll be interviewing inspiring guests who've done something unconventional and created an interesting, novel, unusual career for themselves. Esports, short for electronic sports, is a form of online gaming that has transformed traditional gaming into a full-blown spectator sport. Over the last decade or so, this multi-billion dollar industry has firmly become part of mainstream media worldwide. Understanding the business of esports, however, remains a mystery to most. On this episode, Glenn Kisela unpacks how a passion for gaming coupled with creative skills led him to becoming the co-owner and creative director of Nibble Esports, one of South Africa's premier esports organizations. Glenn is also a gaming columnist and his pieces have appeared in the Huffington Post South Africa and IGN. He's also held posts as the creative director for Draftline, the in-house agency of Brewer AB InBev, as well as Can Africa. Glenn, my friend, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Uh, how are you? Hello. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for that great intro. Uh, no, it's cool. I, I, we're actually just saying it's been it's been a long time since since we last <laughs> chatted. So when you you know when you spoke about this, I was very very keen to jump on board. So yeah, thank you for thank you for having me. Uh, let's get into it. Esports. I've got a very strong suspicion that many of our listeners <laughs> won't have any yeah. idea. Uh, or, or if not some idea, but but not an accurate accurate picture of esports and exactly what it entails. How would you explain the concept of esports to someone who's never heard of it before? Mm. Listen, I mean, I feel like sometimes those of us in esports don't know half of what esports <laughs> is. It's 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 like always changing, you know. Um, no, look, it's a, it's a great question to ask. I think it's an important premise to to set things up. Um, and it's something I, I often speak about, you know, having been in the scene for, for as long as I have, you often come across people are still trying to get used to it and try to understand it. Um, look, I mean, the, the, the easiest way to describe it, I mean, esports is competitive gaming, right? It, it's com competing at the highest level. Uh, I guess the, the comparison that everybody always makes is like comparing it to traditional sports. It's like, you know, would you rather be playing football with your friends or would you rather watch Cristiano Ronaldo or actually, why did I pick Ronaldo? I should have picked the Liverpool player because I'm a Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a bad season for us, so let's not go too deep into it. But you know what I mean? It's, it's competitive right. game. It's playing at the highest level. Um, the the industry itself. I mean, if you look at it from a global perspective, look at it from a global perspective before we get local. But globally, I mean, there's stages. So there's production. Uh, you get people called shortcasters or commentators that commentate on the game. They give you. Um, and there's an analyst desk where you know halftime or, or between certain matches, people are breaking down certain plays in the game. I mean, it's a full-on sporting world. Yeah. Um, I don't feel you need to try to force the comparison. It's been done in the past around trying to compare to traditional sports. They're just two different things. You know, I, I think there's obviously similarities. I mean, in esports, you get leagues um, across the various games across the world. You get world championships. I mean, it's everything you'd expect in sports. You get it in, in esports. It, it's very much that's the, the best comparison. I think the the... The pitfalls is people try to force it as a traditional sport. And that's where things sort of turn unravel a bit and then the nuances get lost. But I mean, essentially, really what it is, is it's competitive gaming. It's entertainment. Yeah. It is just an, it's an incredible world to, to, to be in. Yeah. So, so I guess in, in a way then, so as you say, it's different from sports, but it's also different from, from gaming. I mean, there's a difference between me logging on to, I don't know, Grand Theft Auto or whatever and, and playing mm. online against someone else as opposed to being in an actual competitive tournament, say, with other gamers. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, even that that's actually been a, a separation that's actually come over time within the, the gaming culture, like the gaming community, I suppose, yeah. uh, because people try to group them together. And people often just go, yeah, 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 like I'm into gaming or, you know, and all they, you know, people outside of the scene will kind of talk about esports as gaming yeah. and gaming as esports. 
Right. So you're absolutely correct. There, there definitely is a, a separation between the two. The one is, and not so much casual, because casual comes with like its negative connotations in a way. But it's it's just you get your gaming. That's just it's for fun. It's it's a it's a social experience. It's a good time with you know with friends or by yourself. You know you get the single play. So there's gaming that everybody knows it to be. Yep. where it's sitting down in front of your TV or in front of your computer and playing a game, whether that be with friends or without, even online from a competitive side, there's that. Whereas esports is where it's like, this is the best of the best. This is the right. 1% of the 3%. Uh, and and it's, it's taken very strict, you know, in a very strict way. I mean, you're talking people training for 16 hours a day at some point. So yeah, that there's definitely a separation between between gaming gaming and esports. I'm glad you mentioned that because people, people often don't realize that. So that's actually really cool that you yeah. did that. Well, I, I, I by no means uh, can claim that up until before yesterday, I, that was something I knew. So, so this is all new knowledge to me. <laughs> um, I love statistics and I'm going to read you some that I found when I was preparing for the show, mm -hmm. um, which honestly, I wish this was around when I was 13 years old and my mom was nagging at how much time I was spending playing games. So yeah. in 2019 more than 235 million dollars was awarded worldwide across 5400 esports tournaments the highest earning esports team in 2020 uh dallas empire reportedly earned 1.8 million after winning i believe the, the call of duty league as of march 2021 the highest earning esports team worldwide has reportedly earned 36.35 million us dollars you compare that to South Africa, where apparently at least 40,000 people follow esports uh, tournaments online or, or participate as fans, mm -hmm. but you compare that to the, the global fan base of apparently around 400 million people. I mean, those are some mm -hmm. serious numbers. This is not, you know, something that, that we should be taking lightly. How, how do you react to those statistics? And mm -hmm. more importantly, like, what does that say about where we're at in South Africa versus globally? Yeah. So it's funny you mention it because it's something I, it's something I bring up fairly often uh, when when people discuss around esports and, and even gaming to a degree as well is the numbers. So the numbers are it's I mean with anything when it comes to statistics, right? Everything's nuanced. Their, their context is so key in understanding right. what those numbers are actually saying. So for example, when you look at the team that's made the most, uh, without a doubt, it's always going to be a Dota 2 team. Uh, so Dota 2, for those that don't know, is one of the more popular esports games in the world. Uh, they were the first to, well, I want to say, I want to say the first, I think I can confidently say that, um, please don't count me down if that's not true, but they were the first, um, esports, um, title to crowdfund their prize pool. So what they did is they went and took a game, they took a, a ticket, like I said, they call, it's called a compendium, but let's just say it's like this ticket. And the more that the community bought the ticket, they would take it like 75% would go to the company. Or I think it was something like 75, 25 or 70, 30 roundabout there. But a percentage, a majority percentage would go back to the company, the, the, the creator of the game, right. right, Volve. And then the rest would go into a prize pool. Now, keep in mind, Dota's got millions of fans. And gaming is one of the most engaged communities across the board, globally. And that's where, again, that, nuance, that, that context comes into those questions, to, to the numbers right. things later. But so, so they crowdfunded their, 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 their esports prize pool, their tournament, their world championship prize pool. Uh, if I remember correctly, I mean, the one two years ago was around $20 million. Wow. Just about $21, $21 million right off the bat. Yeah. One tournament. That's the world championship. And then the winning team, multi-millionaires overnight and USD. So when you look at it, for example, you go like, cool, which game made the most money? Technically, yeah, Dota 2 has the biggest, the biggest price pool. But again, it's not spread out over the sustainability of the leagues, right? They don't right. do a league structure necessarily. They, 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 they've tried to reform it a bit in a way. But so that context is, is like quite important um, when you look at like sort of the money that's being generated because the money is being made by the, like the top of the top. So again, it's a 1% of the 1%. They're the ones that make a lot of the money. Everybody else suffers depending on what game you're talking about, right? Some games have turned into franchising to try to make it sustainable. When you look at the number and the size from, they say, South Africa, and I love that you did that as well, because, because one of my biggest frustrations I have when people talk around esports and gaming and, and the industry and, and as an introduction and in South African context, they do that thing where they go with the global numbers first, right? And then they go, all right, look at how good those numbers are. All right, yeah. let's do that here. And they don't bring it back to what are the numbers like here. So for example, you look at it globally, Gaming is bigger than music and the film industry combined. 
Like that's that's crazy. Like it's genuinely bigger than film and the music industry combined. Like that's how massive gaming is. And 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 you see the growth of it as well. I mean, the growth of esports, the price pools have been soaring. And year on year, the 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 brands that come in, you know, uh, VCs that jump in as well. I mean, America's seen a huge growth. America and Europe have seen a huge growth in this. To that point, I mean, th- that's actually something that blew my mind that I learned in the last couple of days. And for context, so so I am actually a, a VC lawyer, and it's it's what I do most days in in my job. And I genuinely can't wait for the day that one of my clients comes to me and says, "I want to do a Series A funding round in an esports company in South Africa." Honestly, that would blow me away mm. i mean like to your point we, the, the numbers in south africa just are not there to justify i guess that level of funding going into this but i mean how far away are we from that mm. so i guess and i guess that's what it comes down to it, it's around how close we are so south africa is following the trend so yeah. the, the the massive growth that you see and and those numbers and and the the investment those things are happening in south africa um, so that's not a that's not not happening. I think to your point, though, again, there's we're we're quite a few years behind that gap that we have relative to the to say the West and even to China. I mean, China also right. blows everybody away when it comes to numbers. China yeah. counts for uh, I mean a, a, a ridiculous amount of of the viewership. If you don't have Chinese support, you don't get the viewership numbers, um, and that's a huge part of it as well. But back to South Africa, I think. If I had to give you a ballpark figure, and it's so hard to guess, you know, these things fluctuate and they come and go. But I think, you know, we're looking at around probably five, five, five years minimum, five to 10 years before we start to get anywhere close to a level of sustainability, not even hitting the numbers that we see in the West, just a place that is sustainable. So when you look at it from your perspective, you know, as a, you know, in the, in the world of the VC, you know, if you were to ask me, do you want to get, should you invest in gaming or right now in South Africa? I'd say absolutely, because it's dirt cheap right now. Right. In a sense, right? Because it's so unstable right now and the market's so small and it's not sustainable and, and everybody that's in it is in it for the passion and for the love. And this is the time to get in. And that's what everybody in the West understood. Get in early because then you can get in where you, you're spending, you know, a couple hundred thousand to a couple million or whatever before right. the, the, the growth comes through. And so South Africa, we're still a long way away, five years minimum. And that's, that's massively optimistic, closer to 10 before we start to see real, real, you know, real revenue coming in. But if you're not there at the beginning, you're going to miss out. And then by the time you're ready to come in, it's so far beyond you. And so that's the gamble you have to take. Are you willing to risk sitting in here for a couple of years to, to, to see growth? We obviously can't ignore COVID and it's relevant because it's affected everything. Mm. For me, um, strangely enough, this time period that we've been in lockdown was actually when I started to become more aware of, of esports um, and, and specifically, so, so I love Formula One, absolutely love it. I, I watch it every week and I follow the drivers. What and, team, what team do you, what team, what, what, so, who, are you, who are you supporting so this I, season? I am a Ferrari supporter, but to be honest with you, okay. um, after last season, I, I'm not so sure anymore. Um, <laughs> but when, when lockdown happened last year, I, I was obviously quite bleak that, you know, we weren't going to get racing for the foreseeable mm-hmm. future. and. At some point soon after that, the 2020 version of the Formula One game comes out uh, across all platforms. And interestingly, suddenly you, you see this influx of the drivers themselves, the F1 drivers, um, joining these online tournaments with fans and, you know, they're racing against each other yeah. and, and other esports teams. And at the same time, you know, like they're live streaming on Twitch while they're doing it. And, and I just loved watching those because even though we couldn't get to see real racing, um, it was the closest thing to it, you know, drivers yeah. sitting remotely and, and kind of backing each other. And as a Formula One fan, in many ways, that kind of changed my experience of the sport because firstly, obviously, I got to see some racing virtually because we, we couldn't get deal racing. But I also mm-hmm. got to see, you know, proper fan interaction uh, with the drivers and, and at the same time, how the drivers reacted to each other and interacted with each other that like we wouldn't get to see. So for me, that was... A really beautiful thing because it showed, I guess, how esports and real sports sometimes can work together um, and, and mm-hmm, can have mm-hmm. an influence. And as I say, that kind of was almost purely as a result of COVID and, and the restrictions that the lockdown brought. What was your kind of experience of it? Do, do you, have you seen, you know, more interest in in esports and online gaming because of COVID? 
So, you know, obviously COVID, COVID changed the world. Uh, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt about it. No matter what industry you're in, uh, it really did come in and, and change everything. Uh, yeah. Some for the better, some for the worse. Gaming has been this really interesting space where overall gaming absolutely did profit from, from, from you know, COVID coming in uh, and without, you know, being insensitive to the damage and, and you know, the, the, the lot of the loss that has come from COVID. So it's definitely not to diminish that or, or be dismissive of it. But, you know, just purely speaking from an industry gaming, gaming had a lot of growth in that regard, um, specifically esports. I think esports more than gaming actually benefited from that because to your point, people were starved of content, yeah. right? If you actually look at it, so, so I put together um, a charity gaming event uh, right at the beginning of, well, not beginning, I guess around June, I think we are. We did it in June, June last year. Uh, and it was to raise funds for the Solidarity Fund. Uh, so I brought a bunch of musicians together uh, with with a very good friend of mine, um, Tekla from Texan City. We brought a bunch of musicians because musicians have been struggling, right? They have no right. gigs, they have no live events, and that's where a lot of their, their revenue comes from. So now they're struggling, so they don't know what to do. So I brought them into the gaming world. Um, and then along with, with one of our one of my other partners, I'm not one at the time, we we put together a tournament, like a, just a fun game playing on your phone. I mean, it had Karen Zoid and her friends, like a band playing in a, in a tournament. With, she's oh, amazing. Awesome. It was so much fun to just, yeah. so that was great because I just got to like, literally got to have Karen Zoid on and just chatting to her about just life and things, which yeah. was really, really yeah. cool. Um, I think those kind of things and the reason why I did it is I wanted to show people the power of gaming that you can be stuck at home and you may have anything to do but for gamers and not to have not to fall into that old outdated you know stereotype of gamers sit at home and do nothing like mm -hmm. that absolutely isn't true anymore it's not, it's not really a thing it's very short-sighted but i think the gamers we're able to be at home and keep ourselves entertained right. i think also and that goes back to you know when we look at the power of gaming gamers consume content like no one else um, as, as, a, as a community, it's, it's constant. Everybody's constantly looking for, for content, consuming it, creating it, um, sharing it, um, talking about it. Uh, and, and I think that high engagement is what really brought gaming to the forefront. Right. during the time of COVID, uh, because you also globally, I mean, even when I was putting the proposal together for Bring Back Sports, I think, you know, globally there was an increase around 27% of, of, digital, of digital consumption. Right. Um, people consuming 27% more than usual on their phones, on their computers, on TV, people obviously because they're stuck at home. Yeah. So that was a great thing for gaming. It allowed people to actually decide, like, I don't know what to do. Let me, you know, let me watch someone play games. I've got nothing better to do. Right. NASCAR was a sim racing actually did amazingly during this time uh, because to your point, real right races, races of the actual sport are there playing in the game with the full setup. Right. So people that don't know sim racing is simulated racing. You will, they have, I mean, the, the, the gear is, is a ridiculous amount of money. Um, but you have like a chair, the pedals, the steering wheel, you, you feel a very, very, a very real racing experience. Yeah. Um, and what was really great about it is the actual play, like the races themselves are like, oh, I didn't know it was actually this, and it was this realistic. Yeah. Which is such yeah. a beautiful, I, cause I think it was, it was Landon Norris that was, was that was um, exactly. streaming yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, it was Norris and I, I was thinking it was one of his other, I can't remember who the other person was. Yeah, there, there were a few, it was Norris, Russell, mm. Charles Leclerc, the, those, yes, there was a group yes, of the younger yes, ones. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so that was an amazing thing. So I think gaming and then, you know, bring back sports is also what I call the bring back sports. It's like, there wasn't any football at the moment. So that's why we had a FIFA tournament. So there was a lot of growth there that gaming saw. I think it forced a lot of brands to, you know, COVID forced a lot of brands to make really desperate decisions. Yeah. Uh, you can call it, it depends on your perspective, maybe desperate, maybe brave, but it did force brands to switch it up. And I think that allowed a lot of them. So you saw people like Toyota came into gaming, um, uh, I'm trying to think about who I can talk about. Scoots as well, like got into to, so Scoots and uh, McDonald's have gotten into the gaming space. Um, I mean, Debonair has been there for a while. So a lot of brands are like, cool, let's just get into the gaming space um, and 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 see what it's about. And I think COVID allowed that space because brands are desperate. You, how do you talk to how do you talk to consumers at home when they're on the couch when your entire brand is built around having parties? Mm -hmm. you know at like the hottest the hottest venues around the country you have to switch up your entire communication model um and, and so people started to look at gaming as an option for that it wasn't all good for gaming there's definitely been some downsides i think obviously like i said before especially in esports the live events is a big thing right 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 
And 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 so we obviously there's been a massive loss there. And I mean, I know people in the, in the scene locally here as well that have, that have struggled because they were used to you know going overseas for for events or the events that were happening here. Um, expos as well, gaming expos, and um, that you know focuses more on the gaming culture, not necessarily esports. Those happen maybe three times a year. They're quite big parts of the community because it's the time everybody gets together in the same place to to talk, to share, sure. to have a good time. Uh, Rage is one of the big ones that Nag does. Um, you know, one of the early ones as well. They had to go digital all the way digital and obviously that's a big adjustment for, for a company to make. Um, so, so, so there's been ups and downs. I think overall gaming definitely benefited from it, but you know, like anyone, you know, people have suffered here as well. Before we dive deeper into Glenn's story, if you'd like to find out more about esports and how to get involved with Nibble, stick it around until the end of this episode. If we can take a change of pace, um, mm to your own journey and, and how you kind of I guess find your way into into this space for our listeners so, so Glenn and I first met at UCT the University of Cape Town um, Glenn you were studying a business science degree business science yeah, yeah I was actually doing finance exactly yeah and, and I was doing my, my economics degree how do you go from business science to esports the two are not i guess necessarily mutually exclusive but was there was there a a tradition a a transition or or was this um was it always part of the plan that that you would i guess go into into esports or or gaming or you know content creation no it's it's so funny when i like look at like sort of where i am now uh, and versus sort of where i I was heading towards and, and going so I honestly can't tell you and sit down and go like, no, this has been this has been the plan, you know, from the yeah. get-go. Like I have always had sort of a five-year running plan. Um it, it's been something that was that was, you know, something that I've, I've always attributed a lot of value to, to knowing where I'm going. So I've always had a good idea of where I'm headed at any given point in time, you know. Um I think though there's just so many variables that 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 happen that that are part of your life that leads you to the situation it's so hard to say that no, this isn't how i knew i was going to do it so for example like i was studying finance ca um i was i enjoyed accounting i still do love accounting <laughs> uh, i can't i can't for the life of me remember how to do it now but i really loved accounting i enjoyed it i i love the 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 logic of it all and it was beautiful yeah but then you know i, I came across something very very important to me um, her name's Olga. Uh, she was she was almost like a life coach. I guess I had for for a scholarship that I was on uh, for for Alan Gray, the Alan Gray Orbis Foundation. They gave you a life coach, and so that person came to me. and was like, okay, well, where do you see yourself in like ten years time? Right. Um, and I remember this so specifically. I was before I was writing a stats test. It was it was um, it was second year. I was about to write a stats exam, uh, a stats test. Uh, and then she had, you know, she Olga asked me like, where do you see yourself in ten years time? But at the time, it was accounting, so I was like, well, because I tried to think about it. You know, when people ask you, where do you see yourself? You have this oh, idea. I hate that She's question. like, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But so she, but so she was like, no, no, no. Don't answer the way everyone don't answer it like now. What you've yeah. ten years? What are you doing then every year, year by year? Tell me. And so I was like, okay, it's accounting. So it's it's five, it's four years. I'm undergrad, fifth year PGDA, three years of articles. That's eight years gone. Boom. Right. And I sat there and I was like. I like it, can't I like it? But I mean, I don't know if I like it enough for it to be the rest of my life, uh, you okay. know. And so then I switched to I switched to marketing. Uh, so <laughs> so halfway through second year, I switched to marketing. So the UCT finished that out, and then I got into advertising. Advertising, I never planned to get into either. Really, you know, I found out about advertising, and and I started my career. I'm really really you know blessed to have done that. Was at Ogilvy, um, Ogilvy Cape Town. But I got in there through the grad program that they had. But they were going around telling people, hey, this is advertising. Come check it out. Come check it out. Because those of us at UCT didn't really know the advertising space all that well. Like, not all of us, really. Um, and also, keep in mind, I'd gone from finance to marketing. So a lot of the marketing kids really knew about advertising. And everyone yeah. knew Ogilvy was. I had no clue yeah, yeah. who Ogilvy was because it wasn't <laughs> the world I was in. Um, so all these, so really the point I'm saying with all these things, it's all these different people and conversations and things have like directed my like career. I think though, when it always came down to game and games been a passion of mine since I was a child. I mean, okay. I mean ever since I can remember, I've had yeah. a controller in my hand and, and it's all what I've loved. Uh, I wanted to study computer science at the time uh, when I, before I was going to varsity, because I was like, obviously computers, gaming, it's like, it goes hand it in hand sense, and yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people do that. But then, you know, life conversation, it didn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. I just got told, don't you, don't you computer science? Like, why would you do that? I'm upset now because I mean, it's a really great career. To, well, to I mean, I'd, end, I'd but... be interested. Who, who told you that? Who, who was the one that that persuaded you against it? 
<laughs> I feel like it sounds like I'm holding on to these things. I just seem to remember these things because it's such pivotal moments of my life. So I just try yeah. to remember it. But I actually remember my grade, my 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 grade seven teacher actually. Back then wow. already, it was like, don't do, don't do, don't do computers. C- computers for what? No, there's too many computer people. No one needs them anymore. That's what I got told in grade seven. I was like, computer wow. system, the computer world is dying out. Like developers are, imagine how ridiculous that sounds now when you look at like how, no, how, how much of the energy thrives, <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, but, but again, I guess, I guess for me, I was lucky. This game has been a passion of mine since I can remember. Um, and so I got into writing because it, it's so funny because it's very similar to your story as well. I was doing this career and this, this work that I had that I, I loved, but it didn't bring me to life or, you know, in, in yeah. so many ways. So I started writing as a way to have a creative outlet because I didn't feel I had that in my, I, I didn't have it in my studies and I didn't think I'd have it in my job. Um, and then as I, you know, I started that, I, I started writing for a company called um, My Gaming. Uh, they were part of my broadband. Everyone would probably know my broadband, but I started writing for them, I think, 13 years ago. I think it's been about it's been about 13, 14 years I've been writing now. I started there as a side hobby. And it just happened that like as my career kept moving and, and I would move places and grow and do these things, I kept holding on to the writing. Uh, and, and I held on to that for you know for like a number of years, for over a decade. Uh, and then you know, as as I got older and started to realize, you know, like I love what I, I love gaming this much, and it's still a thing, and it's still something that's growing. And I'm passionate about. I started to find myself spending a bit more time on it. Um, okay. So I, I wouldn't just write an article now. I'd really do investigative pieces and and research and and so my introduction of ga- intro gaming and my my approach to gaming as a journalist, I think, um, helped me in so many ways because it allowed me to understand the scene from an observer's point of view. Right. Um, so that when I decided, you know, when I made the active decision, I actually want to get way more involved in the scene and in a far more fundamental way. I was so prepared for that because of all the research I'd done, all the conversations I'd had with people, all the stories I had written. Um, it, it was a really, I was very lucky that things fell the way that they did, that I was able to make that transition. Um, but it, yeah, it was, gaming was just something I've loved. I've, I've always loved it and I always knew I would never let go of it. I just didn't think I'd have the opportunity to be so involved with it and instill you know, be able to, 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 to balance that with all the other work, you know, all the other work that I do. Yeah. And I guess it's, it's one thing having a passion for something as, as a hobby, it's completely different taking that and and making it a full-time career. And I love my mom, bless her. But if I, at any point I'd say to her, (laughs) I'm going to do esports, I'm going to do gaming as my career. Like there's just no ways that that would have flown in, in my household. What was it like, you know, going through that experience and, and how did your family and your friends kind of react to that? Because I'm sure yeah. you must have had loved ones looking out for you and saying, Glenn, like, listen, you know, you, you at UCT, yeah. you've got all these opportunities, you know, like the walls at your feet. Like, <laughs> yeah, why would yeah. you want to go and do gaming? <laughs> so, so it's so funny. I mean, because actually the reason I even started writing is because I mean, obviously I was playing games all the time as a kid, like yeah. all the time. Um, I still did well at school though. So, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, you know, again, it's not the stereotype of like all I did is just play games like I had a great social life like I saw you know like it was a healthy life like I just right. I loved to right. play games and then my mom was always just like why are you wasting time why aren't you studying why aren't you this and this and that you know you're African parents <laughs> and so um, and so she was like if it doesn't make you money don't it's not it's a waste of your time I was like oh so is that the criteria I was like cool and that's when I went and became a writer because I was like Got well it. now I get paid to review games therefore you can't shout at me anymore and of course she still did <laughs> I, I, I think the what what's interesting the why I, I suppose I'm still answering these questions to you like this like it's almost like it's an ongoing thing is sure. gaming's not at a space where it's ever a full-time thing just yet Got it. you know um, and, and that's such an important point to make is that there's obviously people that have, you know, some of us have been very lucky and fortunate enough to, to make a career of it. But for a lot of us, there's other things that, that we do to keep things going, you know. So, for example, for me in my gaming career, like, you know, I absolutely, you know, being a co-owner of, a, of an esports organization and, and the things that we're doing it with Nibble, it's, it's an amazing thing. But Nibble is not at a place that it's making me money. Right. You know what I mean? It's, it's a place that I spend my money that I make in other work. Um, so that's why I'm also answering to you. There's not a point where I went, ah, it's like I'm full-time in it. I think it's this ongoing transition. I think everyone in the scene and a lot of us in the scene are, are trying to build it up in the industry mm-hmm. up to a point that it, it does become a full-time thing. I can tell you I'm full-time gaming. But I guess right now I can't, I can't honestly say that. I just don't, yeah. the scene is not sustainable enough. It's, but we're working towards that. That's, that's always the goal. That's, that's the dream for a lot of us is that we get to a point where kids can come in you know i want people to come into nibble and i can hire them full time 
you know, where, where they don't need to be doing their nine to five and, and then doing this on the side. And I, I don't want it to just be a passion thing. I want it to become a, a real job. So there's a way to go. But, but again, like I said, I think everybody has such a different story of how they get into it. Uh, I, I guess to me, the biggest thing, and I think it'll be the, the I guess if there's, you need a golden thread for everybody that got into gaming from other careers, it's got to be passion. And right. in this day and age, the one thing, no matter what passion you want to go into, no matter what industry you want to go to, that doesn't, you know, isn't that the traditional, I say air quotes, but no one's watching me, <laughs> but I just air quoted it, but like that traditional sense, if yeah. you can't do something because of the passion, because you love it, if that's not your go-to or reason for it, you're going to struggle to, to make that transition from whatever it is that you're currently doing into the space, because it's a very difficult one. Um, because it's such an ongoing process that you try to build the resources and the revenue streams and 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 the the environment to allow you to do it full time. It's a, it's a it's a very difficult transition to to go through, and and gaming's still doing that. We're still in the middle of it, and it you know some people have been doing this for thirty years. You know the amount that I've been alive, some people have been in the scene and doing stuff. So it's a it's a yeah it's it's a, it's a tricky conversation to have. Right. Well, I think it's so important, and and I do want to spend some more time unpacking it because i think to mm. get an accurate you know picture of this industry I, I think it's important that that we actually do paint this full picture um if we can first start with nibble how would you describe nibble you know what does it mean for it to be an esports organization so yeah so i mean so for, for people that don't know so it, i guess that three ways to cut up esports specifically Super oversimplified, but I guess you get you get your talent, right? So that, your talent is basically your 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 commentators. So your shot casters, it's the uh, you know the people that are on screen. You know you get the people that kind of run the show. That you know those are kind of you get your talent. You get uh, the the pro teams, like the the players, the professional players that are represented by organizations. Most of them. So a lot of people, a lot of players are signed up to like I guess an org. You can almost uh, compare it to like a club, like a football club, right? So you get the club, you get the players, and then you get everybody else that makes the system run. Um, and so, so Nibble Esports, we are an esports organization. And that's kind of the, the terminology that I guess we, we use within esports or within, within gaming, really. Um, and, and at Nibble, we, we, you know, as with any org, you'll get teams around various games. So that's kind of the, the holistic picture of, of, of an esports organization. You get rosters, and rosters play different games, and you get people. Well, they manage the org. What, what we've sort of done at Nibble and, and our approach there is, you know, there, there's so much power in gaming and esports, but I think people underestimate just how powerful the industry is. Uh, so, for example, and, and going back to your point around talking about it as a, as a possible career place and a place to go to, yeah. I think one of the big things is people underestimate like how much work goes into an industry in general. So, for example, gamers need accountants. Like the right. gaming industry needs the finance services. That, that's nothing new. It's, it's not, it shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody that every big company needs finance people and a finance department. So you can do fine finance within gaming. Uh, production is another thing, right? If you're someone that loves to operate a camera, like a camera operator, right. gaming needs that as well. So you have to open your mind to the idea of like what makes up the whole ecosystem and because that makes it really beautiful. And so what we've done at Nibble is, you know, we've taken this approach to gaming of going, gaming is not just this cool thing that everybody likes to have to do on, on their off time. Um, gaming is an entire industry. So how do we build an industry? How do we, how do we grow it? How do we take it further? And so at Nibble, we have this, this thing that um, my business, my, well, my co-owner and also the person that founded the org, um, his name's Keegan, Keegan Stewart. Him and I have this thing that we always say, it's like, Nibble Esports is a lifestyle, a premium lifestyle brand that happens to play in gaming culture. And right. I think when you approach it in that way, it becomes something more powerful because, for example, you know, we launched a music label uh, last year and we're busy putting together artists that are coming, you know, more artists are coming onto that, that roster. People might ask, like, what, what is a gaming organization doing in the music mm -hmm. space? But I'm like, but do you not listen to music when you play games? Are not something, you know, if you look at FIFA, for example, Everybody knows some of the biggest tracks because it came from FIFA. Completely. Someone can tell you, oh yeah, that song, FIFA. Like yeah, everybody yeah. knows it, right? So their link is already there. I think people just don't think about it that much. And so when you approach things that way, the way that we do it at Nibble, it starts to show you just how much is possible. And that's why we believe so hard in what we're doing to fight to build the scene because it absolutely is a space that can grow and create real jobs and, and have a really great space if you stop looking at gaming as this uh, 
uh, I just sit in front of a couch and play a game or sit in front of my PC and play a game. It's an entire world. It's a whole industry, just like film, just like movies, uh, just like the music industry, just like the sporting world, right? You get broadcaster rights. There's, there's just so much that unpacks, you know, that unpacks gaming. And I think what I'm really proud about that we've done at is we've been able to try to do that um, in, in a lot of ways and, and show people that there's more to gaming than just playing a game. There's an entire world behind it. Yeah, it, it sounds like you, you're almost creating um, the the ecosystem around it, and and in that way, I guess you know you're kind of also expanding the the audience and and bringing people into the into the community, and and I think that's that's amazing. So, Nibble, as I understand, was founded in June 2016. Uh, as you say, you, you know, your co-owner uh, Keegan Keegan Stewart founded founded Nibble. Yeah. Where where did the link? for you start when did you first meet <laughs> yeah. how did you become involved with it so so again and this goes back to i'd been writing for so long uh, but i felt a bit frustrated uh with certain in the industry uh you know it's, not, it's nothing new i mean it's not controversial i really hope it's not controversial anymore for me to just talk about <laughs> these things because it really shouldn't be but yeah I, I felt like there were a lot of issues that were being swept under the carpet or, or just not a um, you know, racism being one of those, um, and, and just diversity representation. It was just these are issues I'd read, written about for so long, and I felt I almost felt like I was just talking to a brick wall. Um, because people were like, you know, people get up in arms about the, the articles I put up, and people would have these discussions, and it would just disappear, and it would start up again and again and again. Um, and and so I'd already been thinking around like end of last, yeah, beginning of last year already. I, I was kind of thinking about. What do I do now, right? I can talk, I can talk, I can write, I can write, but if I want to really make positive change within the this, this space that I love so much, like how do I do that, right? And I guess that was probably that point where I started going, how do I really do this gaming thing? Right? I love it, I play it all the time, I write about it, but to actually do it, to, to make it into a, a job, into a career, right. that was when I got to that point. That, that was my, my tipping point where I went, I can't keep writing anymore. Like I'm, I'm, I got over writing. I, I, I barely write now. I just don't find the energy to do it anymore because I just feel like I've exhausted my words, uh, which is you know the irony coming from a, a writer. But I hit that point where I went, okay, because of the passion I have, and because I was like, I'm not willing to just walk away from this. I was like, what do mm -hmm. I do next? And so I'd been looking around. You know, do I form an, an esports organization? Was actually where I started. Was my head was starting to get towards. Uh, Keegan and I met uh, doing a. We were doing. A, we got brought together by a guy called Mike. Um, we were doing this project together for one brand that I can't really mention, but it never really followed, it never went through uh, okay. as a gaming opportunity. Um, but but we worked on a project together. Uh, the way that Keegan and I just spoke about it, we both had the same mindset and the same approach to it. And we were both like, we would message each other like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, like still yeah. up working and keen to chat. And so we both felt very, uh, a very similar energy to one another. Uh, then I'd brought on, I'd asked Keys to be a part uh, and Nibble to be a part of my back, Bring Back Sports charity event. And then there again, had a great interaction and engagement with him. Um, I'd actually met uh, one of the other people in Nibble, his name's um, Aiden. Um, I'd met him there as well. And I had such a good sense of Nibble. And I was like, these guys are really cool. And then I started like doing my research and looking at them. I was like, I never hear about them in the news. They don't really get involved right. in the drama of the scene or anything. And I was like, it just, it's run like a tight ship. And I really like that. Um, and so, yeah, Keegan and I started working together a lot more on a few different projects. And I think after around three, four months, I think it was around three, four months of, of working together, uh, we both kind of, I think we both got to the same conclusion, but for different reasons and in different ways. We hadn't spoken about it yet. Yep. But I started thinking, I don't know if I want to build an org from scratch. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It might be easier to join an organization. I'd been looking at doing that as well. I'd actually right. was looking around like what orgs I might want to join or be involved in. I started this conversation with it. And then Keegan obviously was also looking at me going, like, I kind of like the way Glenn works. Like, I think he could bring a lot of value to, to Nibble. And so we both ended up having this chat on this one Sunday. We're just like, so kind of thinking, <laughs> hey, what if? And we both were like, are you thinking what I what? Uh? And, and that's how and that's how yeah. things started. You know, we both, we both were it just it happens so it's just working organically he always he loves that term it's one of his favorite terms <laughs> uh, and it just it really did it happened organically um and it was just the right time the right uh, place i was in the right mindset for it where i was like i really want to be a part of something um bigger within esports and that's when i made the decision I'm like cool let's do this let's actually really make a career of this and, and really work hard on it and and make it more than just writing and more than just for fun this is this is real stuff now yeah. and um yeah that 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 now was that was 10 months ago so it's it's been 10 months since i joined uh and, and it's been it's been an incredible journey since 
finding your place in the space and finding your your voice in the space it, it almost seems to me like nibble was was kind of where this happened for you and i think there's a perception rightly or wrongly that the the esports community or, or the gaming community perhaps is this niche very closed off community mm. um and i think that the, the you know of various elements that that come with that i think you've already alluded yeah. to some of your issues uh, you know that you've encountered around racism and, and so on um i guess let, let me ask you the question by just letting you speak about it like what, what was your experience of that what, what was your your thinking and, and mm. your more importantly your, your feelings around all of that so you know i think uh gaming has come a long way and I'm, spoke, I'm talking specifically in South Africa. I, I think we've definitely come a long way from where things were when I first joined the scene, like 14, 15 years ago. Um, you know, it, it, back then it felt very, like I didn't feel like any representation was there. You know, I, I felt very alone in the scene in terms of my issues that I had as a person of color. Um, I mean, and I'm very frank about these things. I, I think these are things that are good conversation to have. It's not to stir things or to, you know, I think people can learn, need to learn to, to talk from a place of just maturity. But, you know, one of my first articles I read is I was like, gaming is the white boys club. That was my headline. I mean, that that really, and that is what it was. And, and to a large degree, that is still what it is. Um, I don't think it's, it's, it's something that people are necessarily actively trying to keep. Because back then it was, it felt like that, that people were actually trying to keep the status quo. I think a lot of people just don't seem to care because they think gaming is still like, it's just gaming. You know, people, they, there's this thing, it still happens now where people argue around, you know, keep my keep politics out of gaming, you know, keep your politics out of my gaming. Um, and that was often a lot of the, the re reactions I would get from the community whenever I wrote about feminism or sexism, racism. Um, you know, for example, I read an article about like how gaming culture perpetuated rape culture. Um, and it's it's a very true thing, and it's not it's not a statement. You know, someone was like, "Oh, you saying game is rape, rape, rape people?" I'm like, "That's not even remotely close to what I'm saying." I'm saying there are right. real issues within the scene that we need to start to address to allow everybody to feel part of it, to feel included. The hostility right. that that a lot of you know uh, non-white men face in the community is unbelievable. And I can't speak for mm -hmm. all of those issues, but mm -hmm. because obviously those not those are not mine necessarily to talk about. But I try to focus on things I could talk about, um, and, and I felt like. I got a lot of pushback at the beginning of my writing career. Uh, it was constantly just vitriol. I mean, the death threats I've gotten. I mean, I've gone international oh, wow. a few times with some of the, okay. with some of the articles. Yeah, and I mean, I get people from this from the US. It's like three in the morning. I'm like, I'm sleeping, and I wake up. There's like this barrage of death threats and like anger and just you know around just saying like, hey, why don't we just show more representation? So it was never. It wasn't always a fun time. I mean, for me, uh, and I think I speak for a lot of these people of color. Uh, it's not always a, the most inclusive space, uh, but we've all been fighting and uh, we've all been trying to make our voices heard and, and, and the face of all the anger and aggression. And over the years, it's definitely shifted that it's becoming this really beautiful, inclusive, amazing space. And, and I'm really proud of how far we've gone. Yes, we have a long way to go, but I also want to go like we've done, a, we've done a lot, you know, we've gone a long way. And I think the new wave of gamers that are coming in now are also pushing things in their own way and, and really setting the scene. So it's been a it's been a contentious you know relationship I guess I've had with gaming over the years. I think in recent years since I decided to commit to it properly, you know, being part of an org, um, my experiences in Nibble have been incredible. And um, the, the the people there, the way I was welcomed there, the community, uh, you know, the people we've brought on since I've joined, you know, we've we've grown the team massively as well. I think we've had probably since I've been there for ten months, we had another five six. Uh, sorry, actually, probably not 12 people, mm -hmm. um, including like a whole content creator group of people that we have that are an amazing bunch of humans. So things are changing. And, and I think, I suppose, where this kind of leads me is I'm, I'm really grateful for where I am in gaming. Um, I think I had to fight to make myself heard. I had to fight and carve a space for myself where I could be heard. Uh, and my thing now is, you know, it's like, how do I help the platform that I've built and, and, and very blessed to have? How do I use that to help everybody else not have to fight as hard as I did? To, to come into the space, to be heard, to be welcomed, to feel a part of it. Yeah. And, and I mean, those issues are, are very difficult to work through, I imagine. I mean, you've, you've now explained in, in a lovely, positive way, and, and I'm really grateful that you've, that you've done that, um, that there is a lot of hope in the industry and there's a lot of change that's happened. And at the end of, of all of that that you've said now, I'm, I'm left with kind of a, a very positive feeling, which is fantastic. But I mean, for you personally, that must be quite difficult and must have been difficult to go through. And then 
on top of that, you add kind of the difficulties of you're in this industry that's still nascent and it's in its growing, you know, infant mm. stages and there's uncertainty around how you're going to generate revenue from this thing and you're already devoting so much time to it. I mean, was there ever a point where you get so down in yourself that you think, well, actually, is this worth it? Like, I just want to <laughs> throw it in and I'll go back to writing or, you know, go back to advertising. At least three times a year. At least, <laughs> at least three times a year. I'm like, all right, you know what? It was a good run. We tried really hard. Good luck, everybody. Like, I'm Aries, you know. And, and what do you, what do you go back to when, when that happens? Like, what, what do you, what do you, what do you draw from? It's funny. I was actually speaking to someone about this very thing. Um, very, you know, last couple of weeks. Um, she was like, I don't, I, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. Like, it's exhausting, kind of thing, you know. And, and, I, and what I said to is really what I said was saying to you now. When it comes to this transition of, and I guess this is what the transition is about, right? It's about the known and the expected and the normal. And, and I say normal, like inverted commas, of what people expect the job to be. Yeah. Being, you know, creative director, like SAB, like that's a normal thing. That's a a thing that people tell you should do versus yeah. leaving that to build a gaming organization which is not the norm and it's not the status quo and it's not encouraged so whenever you're moving away from what people expect the world to do and what society has deemed as okay to do something else it's such a hard move right. uh, and, and you're constantly facing um difficulties like you would in anything right the, the normal jobs aren't easy either i mean my time at sb was like i love it i mean it was it was such a great i'm so grateful for my experience there but also it's not like i had great days there all the time there were some bad days or some dark weeks uh, so it's not like it's any harder necessary there i think when you try and pave your own way in a space that people haven't accepted yet it just makes it that much harder because then you're almost looking at the rest of the community going why are we fighting each other Right. Like we're already fighting the world, right? Gamers had a point where we're like, we're already fighting the world. People think you play games, everyone's like, oh, okay, cool. So you don't go out, you don't have a life, you know, all these really ridiculous, outdated mindsets and, 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 and perceptions of gaming. We're already fighting that, right? We're already fighting traditional sports who was like, what are, what are, you, what are you kids doing? Putting your weird stuff on our TV screens. I mean, if you watch um, gaming get streamed on ESPN, the tweets are it's actually like it's actually ridiculous how yeah, in like yeah. how like vile and upset people are that someone <laughs> else's passion is on a tv screen like right, there's no right. basketball relax nba is on a break let people stream <laughs> so you know there's just it's, it, it makes it harder when you're already fighting the world and that you have to then fight the very people you're trying to help build the scene mm-hmm. with um and and so that's why it always comes down to my answer always is you've got to love it so, yeah. so what keeps me coming back every time I get to a point, I'm like, you know what, I'm out. I'm like, I just love this thing too much to let go. Um, I, I never will. Um, and again, you know, I think, you know, the lows, are, the lows happen with anything, whether it was gaming, whether it's, you know, my love of advertising, you always hit your lows. I think that at the end of the day, you, you'll know. And I think that's really what my, you know, Olga right at the beginning I was trying to get me to understand is I can love accounting, I can enjoy it. But if I had a low in accounting, I'm out and I'm not coming back, you know. And I think that was the lesson I had to learn. So that when I do decide to do something, I know that when I'm doing it, I'm doing it for the right reasons and I'm not going to let go. So it's love. It's, it's, a love, it's a love of the industry. It's a love of just the possibilities um, yeah. of, of what gaming can do, what gaming has done for me in my own personal life as well. Um, all of those things play a, a massive role that, that just remind me, this is why you do it. You know, this is, this is what it's about. It's about building the space that has done so much for you and building it so that the next you know, wave of people come in can take it even further and take it beyond where you know where you've taken it to um, and that to me is something that's quite important you did an article where you've written about gaming as a medium for storytelling um and i absolutely loved it in the context of your own life gaming and esports um what does that mean for you what's the story that, that you're trying to tell through this medium i suppose Without getting too too heavy, because I think after this last year and a bit that we've all gone through, <laughs> I think we've all had so much heaviness. But but I, I do think my my biggest thing with gaming and, and and part of why I wrote that article around gaming is you know this powerful medium for storytelling is it's just it's the beauty of art. You know um, I I hate that people still don't understand that gaming is just an incredible art form, um, and that there's a lot people leave a lot at the door um, when they play a game. 
Um, it's an escape for a lot of people. Uh, and there's negative sides to that as well. Of course, and, you know, media loves to talk about those where there's the stories of, um, you know, kids or parents who've neglected their kids or kids who just play games for hours and hours and they're sick. And, you know, everyone has to go there and then the, the, the constant um, attempt to pretend that violent games make violent kids that will make violent adults or whatever it is, you know, like all those things are there and there's are there and people find studies that always say that one and the other, it's, it's, it's so pointless to me, gaming is art. And, and I think when you listen to the people in the scene, you know, the stories, I mean, the stories are beautiful. It, it, it's, it's allowed people to find their own confidence. It's allowed people to find communities. It's found, you know, people have found love in gaming, you know, right. it, there's just so many beautiful aspects to it. Um, that to me is what it's about. It's storytelling. You know, when, when, when people, when someone draws art, you know, people go, oh, they put their soul into that and you can see it in the way, you know, the, the brush strokes are angry or the, but people don't talk about game like that, but it's very much the same. Um, I think, you know, an exercise I, I tell people to do, and it's just so amazing every time it happens is ask someone why, what their gamer tag is. Um, if you ask someone, and for people that don't really know, so gamer tag, and it's the thing that's happened in gaming is you always have a, a almost like a username for whatever game you're playing. Uh, and gamers, whatever username you have, you will use that across every game you play. Uh, ideally for the rest of your life, unless sometimes, you know, you make changes. But generally people will keep a gamer tag or, or keep a version of it throughout the rest of their lives. That's a really personal story around what their name, like their gamer tag is. Uh, and, and it's things like that that make me want to tell people like this is the beauty of gaming i mean what kind of medium allows you to to experience someone else's story but you're there doing it yourself with your own actions your own decision i mean it's it's beautiful it's, it's really beautiful so for me there's no one story i think i think it's just the amount of joy that gaming has brought it's something that i'm always going to be a massive advocate for uh, and I will, that's why I will always be a massive advocate for gaming. Is that there are just some incredible, incredible stories, and I don't want people to miss out on that joy. You know, the people that would love that because they get told by their parents that you know playing games is a waste of time, or you know society tells you that playing games as an adult is still silly. It's just like, okay, well, I didn't think making like three million dollars in one night is silly, but apparently, <laughs> you know, that that's the view people have. And I'm like, someone just made three million dollars. I mean, you tell me if your house is doing stuff like that, you know. Um, so, so yeah, it's just for me, gaming, gaming, when it comes to story, it's just the beautiful stories that people, the, the community itself, the people that built these games, that built these communities, that, that, that build the infrastructure, the people that write the articles, you know, the, the people that watch the teams play. Everybody makes this beautiful, beautiful community for all, for the good and the bad. You know, I'm not pretending it's all rosy. It's a, it's a rose, you know, rose tinted goggles and it's all beautiful. There are absolutely issues. I mean, I'm the first to, to call them out. But I also want to be very, you know, very, um, I guess, explicit in saying that as much as there's, there's all these issues that happen in the scene, there's just so much greater good that happens, you know, for it. And that's why I keep fighting. That's what brings me back. And, and that's why I said gaming is a beautiful medium for storytelling because we're all telling our story in this place. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss out on the next one. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please do share with others and leave a rating and review. This has been the Breaking Out Podcast and I've been your host, Jared Lazar. Until next time. Here's a note from Glenn about how to get involved in esports and Nibble. So you can go to at Nibble Esports and Nibble N I B L E and Esports one word. That's our handle across all our platforms. We're on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram as well. Uh, we're always doing a lot of a lot of really really cool things. Uh, we have our website as well, www.nibbleesports.co.za. Uh, you can check us out there, and there's contact information there. Um, that you know, if you want to join one of the teams, you know, we sometimes you know we do recruiting every now and then. Uh, you know, in terms of joining the org itself, in terms of some of the bigger projects that we're doing, I mean, we're always looking around. I think follow us socials and those are the best places to to find out what we're doing and if there's an opportunity for for anybody to get involved